Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Mark. and uh, We'll be looking in uh, Mark chapter 3 today. And so if you have your Bibles again, I invite you to turn over there. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. And as we would spend this time in study, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, God, encourage us. Let us know, God, we have been chosen by you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, friends, that's an important thing to know. <clears throat> You're not by accident. You are directly chosen by God. Now, I like that. Because I don't like accidents. I, I, anybody here that's ever had one of those, you, you adventure out on your summer vacation... And there's an accident of some type. Maybe you forgot to put the drain plug in your boat. Um, reminds me of a story one time I heard about a guy that uh, decided he was for his summer vacation. In fact, we had somebody in our church decided to take up skydiving. And they, they're flying over and they jump out of the plane and they're falling and they pull the ripcord and nothing happens. Oh no, and pulls the, pulls the second one, nothing happens. And he's freaked out. God, help me, help me, I'm going to crash. And all of a sudden he sees a puff of smoke on the ground and he sees an object getting closer and closer to him and closer and closer. And all of a sudden he sees it's a man. He goes, God, you've sent somebody to help me. And the guy, as he's going by, goes, do you know anything about parachutes? And the guy goes, no, do you know anything about Coleman stoves? (laughs) Accidents happen, but you're not one. God has a way of reaching every one of our hearts for him. And you know, God knows, in spite of our backgrounds, that God still wants to use each one of us. Friends, a lot of times we think because of the things we once were, God would not use us. And I think this passage of Scripture is very important because what it does, it tells us a little bit about who these people were in their past, at least by name, and what God eventually had them become. Again, what you once were is not what you are now, and not what you're going to be in the days to come. So again, remember this. God has his construction process in your life. I I heard it said one time, and I like the thought, that the day we get saved, everybody needs to have a sign hung around their neck under construction. (laughs) Because God's not done with you yet. And there are processes that we go through in order for God to refine us in what he wants us to be. You know, the the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the, uh, the stall where the ox have been is dirty. Uh, and and uh, where there hasn't been any oxen, the stall is clean. What it means is that if you're involved in the kingdom's work, sometimes, friends, you're going to do things wrong. But you know what? It doesn't stop God's work in your life. Let's look at this together. Verse 13. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, that they might be made, that they would be with him, that he might send them out to preach. Now, I think this is kind of interesting because he actually hadn't known them that long, and he sent them out to preach. So, tells me a couple things here. Once again, the message that we have that the world needs is not of our own. It is something that the Holy Spirit puts in our heart once we yield our life to Christ. Now, again, we can spend our lives doing many, many different things, but you know, until we yield our life to Christ, we will never fulfill what God put us on this earth to do. Thus, you'll never really be completed until you do what you're supposed to do. 
That's why we find people running around like chickens with their heads off, trying to find their purpose of life, trying to find their purpose of meaning. But in the process of doing that, they wear themselves out, they get tired, and they're going, gosh, isn't there another way to live? Well, Jesus called these disciples to him, and he appointed them. Now, what's amazing is through the rest of the Gospels and part of Acts, we actually find a little bit of background on most of these disciples that Jesus picked. Notice that he says that he appointed the twelve that he might be with them and might send them out to preach, to have power, to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. And the first one we find is Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Now, Peter, not Petra, but it's Petros, which is a little stone. Rocky, you might say. Jesus renamed Simon Rocky. I don't know if the song went along with it. No, 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 no. I don't know if that went along with it or not. But, but nevertheless, Jesus named him that. And we remember that Jesus was walking along one time with the disciples. And he said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're one of the prophets come back to life. And they mentioned several others. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the only son of God. And Jesus said, upon that statement, I'll build my church. Jesus had a little play on words there, and he actually said to him, he said, Upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church, or upon that statement that you just made. Well, then we find James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, um, John. Now, uh, the Bible calls these two the sons of thunder, uh, and and, uh, the reason why is Jesus has been ministering for several years. Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And as he's on, they're on their way, they went into Jericho, in which they were seeking lodging. The Motel 6 was, was crowded or whatever, I don't know. But they went and they were seeking lodging. And no one would give them a room. Now Jesus had had his message of loving one another, forgiving one another, praying for your enemies. And these two disciples of Jesus, now Jesus knowing this, still picked these guys, these two sons of thunder, and we know why they're called the sons of thunder, because of the remark they made. They said, Lord, shall we call fire down from heaven and consume them? Because they wouldn't rent them a room for the night. Yes, we can see why they were named sons of thunder. Okay. Andrew, which was actually Peter's brother and also a former disciple of John the Baptist, uh, Philip... Bartholomew, uh, which uh, actually there was no guile in him, the Bible says. He, uh, he was a Hebrew in which there was no guile. Matthew was a tax collector. Um, let's see, Thomas, we know him. I doubt it. No, um, um, Thomas was the one that always, he must have been from uh, Missouri because it's the show me state. He didn't believe it unless he saw it. Then we have James, the son of Alphaeus. We don't know a lot about this particular James. Uh, Thaddeus was also known as uh, Judas as well. Not Iscariot, but he was known as Judas. And then also we find um, Simon. Simon is interesting. He was a zealot, and they were a radical extremist group of overthrowing the Roman government. And then we have, of course, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, what's interesting here is you see all these different people with different backgrounds, and yet Jesus brought them into his, you might say, inner circle to train them to be skilled precision workers. Now, friends, I'll tell you something. I don't know what background you came in here with today, but I'll tell you something. In God's family, it didn't matter, and it doesn't matter. It didn't matter if you're a radical extremist, 
you were a tax collector, you were a fisherman, or something else. You know what? God has a way of making us and causing us to be what he's caused us to be. And friends, that tells me a lot that we are not an accident, but that God has his hand on our life to use us and to do for every one of us what will satisfy our souls in eternity. Friends, listen, you can spend your whole life doing things that won't amount to anything in eternity, but God's got something for you to do that he'll reward you throughout all of eternity. Well, verse 20 is interesting. The multitudes came together again. Now, we find the multitudes coming together uh, actually earlier back in um, verse 9. In fact, he took the disciples and told them to get them a small boat, uh, keep ready because of the multitude, lest they would crush him. So we know that people were trying to get to Jesus. You know, people want truth, friends, in their life. And uh, you're a truth bearer. And because of that, people are going to be attracted to you. Now, the scripture says to some, we're going to be the fragrance of life and to others, we're going to be the stench of death. Because if you really want life, you're going to be good news. If people want to stay in their old rotten ways, well, then you're going to be something that's repulsive to them because you represent a standard in which they don't like. Now, again, that's why some of your friends, when you told them that you accepted Christ as your Savior, thought it was the greatest thing in the world and they wanted to know Jesus too. And others go, ooh, they got, they got uh, religion now. Ooh, uh, Jesus freak, you know, and they start dissing you because of, of something and where you've been. Well, listen, again, when a, soul, when a soul is hungry, friends, there's nothing that satisfies like the truth. People were pressing upon Jesus, and Jesus was giving and giving and giving and giving. And notice it says here, the multitude came together again so that they could not so much even eat bread. That's how much and how busy they were in giving to other people, friends. Now, anybody here that's a, that's a Christian that's really involved in being about your father's business, you know that there's always seems to be more needs than you have time for, right? Notice how bad it got. Verse 21. But when his own people heard about this, now his own people probably referenced his mother and his brothers and maybe those extremely close to him. When they heard about Jesus' literally giving and giving and giving, they went to lay hold of him for they said, he's beside himself or he's out of his mind. (laughs) In other words, Jesus just gave till it hurt. Friends, that tells me a lot about God's work in our lives. You know what? God knows what you need. And Jesus did everything that he could do to meet those needs for those people. How much more will he meet the needs in your life? Again, we all have needs. In fact, if we were to kind of pan across this whole room, every one of us will have some needs that are similar and some needs that are different. But we all have needs. We're all creatures of need. And you know what? God made us that way. You know why? So you would be dependent upon him, not upon yourself. There is something within ourselves that likes to be self-sufficient, isn't there? But you know what? When you're self-sufficient, you don't need God. Have you ever noticed that when you don't have money, which I think would probably relate to most of us here today, and you know when you're going to buy something, how you need to really pray. Well, God, what do you want me to do? Should I buy this or shouldn't I buy this? I don't have very much money, or if you don't have any money at all, God, I really need that, but I don't know how you're going to supply the need. Have you ever noticed how how when, when you don't have money, you're totally relying upon God to provide for you? When the old washing machine is on its last leg, oh God, let it do another load. You know, or you got you, you know you got birth out there, you know, and you're going to try to go to church or work. Oh come on, God! Oh, thank you, Jesus. And we're driving on our way. But you know what? When all of a sudden we start having resources. You know, we notice that we don't pray about, a lot of times, the financial decisions that we make or even to be thankful for the things that we have. Have you ever noticed that in your life? I've noticed it in mine. 
When things are well, things are good, oftentimes I don't pray. But when things are tough and things are really seems to be pushing me beyond my limit, God says, we call out to God, and it's like, and, and, and you know what a lot of times we'll say to God? God, if you're so powerful and so good and so wonderful, why am I going through this? Like we blame God or something, and God has always just been wanting to talk to us. And I think a lot of times God lets us run out and so that we will realize he's the only thing we really need. Sometimes you won't realize the sufficiency of God until you've exhausted all of your abilities. And so I find here that Jesus was one who will give till almost people around him think he's crazy. Friends, listen, this is the kind of God we serve. Now, it isn't that oftentimes God allows us to go things because he doesn't care about us. But God is refining in every one of us that personalities, those, um, those different... Uh, idiosyncrasies of us, so that we'll be what God wants us to be. And you'll notice through a lot of times, the things that we go through allow us to relate with other people. It's called empathy. It's not sympathy where we go, oh, I feel bad for you that, you know, you you had to have an operation. It's that when you've had an operation, you go, oh, I know what you're feeling. Big difference to pat somebody on the back and say, oh, I'm sorry for you. It's another thing to say, I feel what you feel. You see, again, friends, that's empathy. And empathy comes from life's lessons metered to us by the hand of God. Now, again, as you look at this, you realize that, friends, we all are going to be put around people who need Jesus. And again, as we're around people, just as Jesus gave, as God gives to us, God wants us to give to other people. Now, that may be sometimes mostly, I believe, a listening ear. Advice from the Word of God, the Bible that would give them the direction that they need to live their life each day. Friends, again, we have a lot of people in this world who have no idea where to go for help. I think you guys are pretty smart here today that you're here because we're reading the Bible. And you know what? God's going to, by His Holy Spirit, is going to give us direction that we need for our lives. But you know, people outside of God, maybe that are steeped in religion, for instance, have no place to go to find information. So that's why you find in these different newspapers... Uh, horoscopes and, and, and Dear Flabby and, and some of these other uh, things that, that are written uh, it, because they're looking for advice. Friends, again, we can go to God. And by going to God, you're going to get what you need without having to cipher through what is good advice and what is somebody's personal opinion. You know, the Word of God always will give you exactly straight what you need in your life. Here he tells us again that Jesus wore himself out insomuch that his family thought he was going crazy because he just continued to give and to give and to give. Friends, listen, that's the kind of God we serve. And I would invite you that you never weigh God down by your prayers and so never feel guilty about asking God for what you need. Or praying and saying, Lord, align my will with yours so that I will be about your business. Because really, friends, when it comes right down to it, only God's business is what's going to matter in eternity. That's really the truth. We can all be about our own thing, but you know what? It isn't going to mean anything. Again, when you drive by these these, uh, mortuaries and cemeteries and memorial parks and you see all these tombstones out there, I wonder how much of the stuff that they were so worried about when they were walking this earth matters now. Or the things that they did for God, those things are going on in eternity. Those things are all things, friends, we have to think about. So he tells us here that, uh, that he, they thought he was literally out of his mind because he was, he was um, just giving and giving and giving. Moms and dads, I know how sometimes that must feel 
with you with your kids. Again, uh, to give and to give and to give. Uh, you do your best. Now, honey, be sure to check the oil in the lawnmower before you mow the lawn. And they don't. And then there's big holes in the sides of the lawnmower. Motor. You know. You know, be sure to, you know, shut the water off. If you don't, it'll flood the basement. They don't shut the water off. Floods the basement. And you give and you give. And the frustration sometimes, friends, listen, I know. And I would just invite you again to remember this. That in sometimes our failures in serving God, God continues to give and to minister to us. Now, verse 22, in the midst of Jesus giving. Now, I said all that to say this. In the midst of giving, there's always critical people. There always is. There's always those that in the midst of everything you try to do, there are those that want to condemn you. Notice this. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub. By the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Beelzebub was literally Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty low life comment to make. Here Jesus is pouring himself out, giving to the point where everybody thinks he's crazy, and the Pharisees, the religious folk of the day, come down and condemn Jesus, saying, well, the only reason he's able to do all these things is because of the devil's power. Friends, I'll tell you something. Gotta hurt. You know, when you do your best and, and, and you're trying to do it, and in the midst of doing all those things, there's always those going, And there's always those that criticize, friends. Listen, they did it to Jesus. They're going to do it to you. And friends, there's just no way around it. I wish there's somehow we could could erase this, but it's true. The reason why, again, is because you establish a standard of giving. And when they think themselves to be of somewhat, and then they see the real thing, they know that they're not what they're supposed to be. And the only way that they can really deal with it is then attack you. That's the way they work. And this is exactly what happened. Now, I think if, if Jesus would have just came down off the mountain and his face was showing with the glory of God and then the Pharisees came, well, yeah, I understand it. But Jesus here is giving. He's exhausted. He's tired. And the Pharisees come and says, the reason why you do all these things is because you're of the devil. Do you think that's any different today? Do you think they don't do this to ministers? They don't do it to you? Well, listen, of course they do. And so he says, they do this by the demons. He casts out the demons. So he called them to him and said to them in parables. Now, this is interesting. Jesus said, hey, you, come here. (laughs) I like this. Jesus, though loving, didn't let him get away with it. And I like that. Notice what he says. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself... That house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven of the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Friends, they were attributing what Jesus was doing to the devil. They were discounting the power of God and saying it didn't exist. It only existed because of the devil. You know, a lot of people wonder, what is the unpardonable sin? 
It is rejection of the power of God and who Jesus Christ is. Again, Jesus came setting people free of demons. See, there was no uh, question whether Jesus was setting people free from the power of the devil. Do you not think this world is under the power of the devil? Have you watched your news lately? Have you seen these crazy things that go on? Have you seen some of the people you work with? You wonder if the devil is real. There's a lot of people that say, well, I don't know if there's a God, but I sure know there's a devil. Well, I want to tell you something. There's a reason why. People have seen and can sense this ugly side of life, friends. And there's only one antidote for it, and that's Christ Jesus. And the Pharisees came along saying, well, the reason why he has power over the devil is because he's the devil. And then Jesus used what we might call simple logic, saying, look, if I'm the devil and I'm destroying the devil's work, that house is not going to stand. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226, and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time for more It's Time.